If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. The text is just there on the next page also. In case you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. You can still follow along there. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've been considering some aspects of what it means for Jesus to be the beloved Son of God and to share his sonship with us, his relationship with the Father, to share that with us. Uh, Last week, at the end of Matthew 17, we read about Jesus telling his disciples, uh, especially Peter, that the sons are free. He said the sons are free. We talked about what that means. Uh, Jesus told a parable that likened his disciples to the sons of kings, the sons of earthly kings. Who enjoy, because of that special relationship, they, they enjoy special freedoms. Except uh, their sonship, the, the disciples' sonship, was greater than the sonship of earthly kings because their father rules over a heavenly kingdom. So now if they're sons of the great high king in heaven, well, it's not difficult to understand why then they would just start asking Jesus questions about positions of greatness in his kingdom. Visions of the grandeur, the high, noble honor of divine sonship are dancing in their heads. But Jesus reveals to them and to us that that kind of vision of greatness is antithetical to the kingdom of heaven. What he says is pretty devastating for the great ones in this world. Uh, But it's wonderful news for the little ones who want to have a relationship with Jesus. So let's talk about that this morning. Uh, Let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you've revealed your kingdom to us through your son. And we pray that you'd help us to hear his words with faith and with joyful humility. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, 
He rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So Jesus speaks of children and little ones uh, throughout this whole passage here. Uh, He talks about turning and becoming like children, about humbling ourselves like children. He talks about receiving such children in his name. Uh, he, He warns strongly against causing his little ones who believe in him to sin. He warns against despising the little ones. Jesus speaks of the Father's love and care for the little ones in order to reveal the blessing of being little and to encourage our love and our care for those who are little. So apart from Jesus, people hate the idea of being little. Everyone everywhere has always automatically assumed that greatness is about individual accomplishment and status. The greatness is about self-sufficiency and the power to control. The greatness is about being above others and being able to use others. The greatness is why it's better to be me than it is to be you. In the world, there's a hierarchy where everybody knows being strong is greater than being weak. There's this hierarchy in the world. Everybody knows being rich is better than being poor. Being intellectual is better than being simple. It's greater to be needed than to need. It's greater to be a celebrity or an influencer or a somebody than it is to be a nobody. In the world, being big is greater than being little. What a terrible world it is where we believe that where we live as if being big were true greatness, where this kind of greatness is constantly pursued by everyone. We all jockey for position to make ourselves bigger in the workplace or among family and friends and neighbors. We all want to be the most impressive in terms of our appearance or our intelligence, uh, sense of humor, achievements, wealth, Whatever it is about ourselves that we think gives us a real shot at being the greatest. We'll give our attention to that. We'll give our energy to that. We will steer the conversation toward that. We will look to exalt ourselves in that and put others down in those categories. We all want to be big and important. We all want to be bigger and more important than others. We all want to be the biggest and the most important. Even the disciples of Jesus who were drawn to the the extraordinary life and character and ways of Jesus, even they want to know and they ask Jesus, who's the greatest? Not what does it mean to be great or greater than the rest of these. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe I could be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Right? They said the crazy stuff out loud, which which is good because really we were all wondering the same thing. If that's the kind of question rattling around inside of you, you need to ask it. You need to say it out loud. At the very least, just so you can hear yourself say the crazy stuff, so you can hear what's going on, what's actually going on inside your heart and inside your mind. Jesus knows us. He knows 
our sinful dreams of greatness. He doesn't turn us away because we're sinners asking sinful questions. He doesn't turn his disciples away here. He's full of grace and truth. So Jesus tells his disciples, you know, with that mindset, you won't even get into the kingdom of heaven, let alone be great in the kingdom of heaven. Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Greek word for child here, uh, pedion, is most often used of infants and toddlers. So if you're a child and you're actually processing what I'm saying, it's not talking about you probably. Infants and toddlers. When Jesus says you must turn and become like children, like infants and toddlers, he is not exalting some imaginary quality like innocence or sweetness or being adorably cute or something. Right? This is not what he's talking about. He explains what he means when he goes on to say in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So a child is little. Jesus talks about little ones. This, this child, this tiny infant or toddler in the midst of these adults represents those that big people dismiss for being little. The eye of this world is fixed on greatness. So children, infants and toddlers are overlooked and they're not counted as members of the community. In the eyes of this world, children are insignificant and unimpressive. They have nothing to offer. They have nothing to contribute. In the eyes of this world, children are too weak to control the circumstances of life. They're vulnerable. Life happens to them. They can't even pretend to be self-made like we're all doing. They can't even pretend to be self-sufficient. In the eyes of this world, children are needy. They're utterly dependent for everything, and therefore, they're a drain on our resources. In the eyes of this world, humble creatures like infants or toddlers are too humble even to measure on the greatness scale. They're just not on the greatness scale, right? You might call Catherine the Great for being Empress of Russia. You might call Alexander the Great for conquering the known world. You just wouldn't call that toddler Eleanor the Great. (laughs) You wouldn't call her that. She still needs lots of naps. She still needs her diapers changed. You've just got to hope that maybe someday children will stop being children and make something useful of themselves. Maybe there's potential to achieve that greatness eventually. But Jesus says that the humility of children exemplifies the true greatness of his kingdom. Now, it isn't that literally only children under the age of two will enter the kingdom, right? Infants and toddlers here represent other little ones, others who are seen by the world as being too humble to register on the greatness scale. Like infants and toddlers, little ones are defined by their openness to others. They're defined by their vulnerability to love rather than their self-sufficiency. 
They're defined by their low social value or status in the eyes of this world. Little ones are not concerned with being big and great. Jesus says we must turn and become humble like these little ones, like these children. Being little is the way of his kingdom. If we truly embrace the way of his kingdom, if we accept his invitation to forsake the world's awful vision of greatness, terrible vision of greatness, we will not only become little ourselves, we will receive other little ones in Jesus' name. Because Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So in the kingdom of heaven, we don't relate to each other according to the world's vision of greatness. We don't look at each other and measure capacity and calculate utility and assess worth. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't show special attention to big ones, hoping that their bigness will benefit us somehow. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't distance ourselves from little ones as if they were a waste of our time, uh, their littleness is contagious somehow, or they're, they're just like a parachute creating drag on our way to greatness. We don't distance ourselves from little ones. We receive children. We receive literal, actual children, infants and toddlers, and we also receive such as them. Such as them. We receive little ones. We welcome and we give our attention to, and we spend our time with, those that the world thinks are a waste of time. We open ourselves to them in mutual care, not in some uh, condescending or patronizing way that makes us feel big, but as little ones relating to other little ones, with thankfulness for who they are, thankfulness for what they mean to us, thankfulness for how they help us. If we are humble little ones ourselves, then we are simply open to relationships of love. And that means being especially open to other humble little ones. <clears throat> so Michael Downey uh, wrote a book called Altogether Gift. It's a good little book. He says, the handicapped, the wounded, and the weak, the last, the littlest, and the least, often remind the clever and the robust that the chief characteristic of the human is to be open to relationship with others. They often remind us that our whole being cries out for relationship. We can learn something about what it means to be human persons precisely in and through those who, more often than not, are judged to be less than human persons. So watch out, lest you judge the little ones to be less than human persons lest you would tempt little ones to disbelieve the love of Christ for them, lest you would despise even one of the little ones who are beloved of God. Jesus warns us that if we relate to each other in terms of greatness, as the world sees greatness, then not only does it mean we won't be great in his kingdom, not only does it mean we won't even enter his kingdom, it means a fate worse than a terrifying death. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but... Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So to live the world's life, to live the strong is great life, the important is great life, the 
the biggest great life is antithetical to true life, the humble life of the kingdom of heaven. If you live a, a biggest great life, not only do you overlook or despise the life of the little ones who are not great, you serve as a source of temptation to them to reject the true life of the kingdom of heaven. A temptation to them to despise the life of humility and being little. A temptation to despair of the love of Christ for them in their littleness. A temptation to think of Jesus himself in terms of worldly greatness. Those who embrace and endorse the the biggest great life, who would sweep everyone up in being big, don't belong in the church. The body of Christ. Jesus continues, says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw away. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Uh, We've heard Jesus use similar language before in Matthew's Gospel. When telling us of the very serious nature of the sin in our own hearts, if some part of you is causing you to sin and you could stop sinning by cutting it off, then cut it off, cut it out, throw it away. The implication is it's, well, it's actually your heart that's causing you to sin. Your very self that's at the root of your sin. You need that old self. You need that old heart to die. So cut it out. Get a new self. Get the new humanity of Jesus Christ himself. Right? That's the way Jesus talked about it before. But here, Jesus is talking about not just individuals. He's actually, I think, talking about people as members of a body. People are hands. People are feet. People are eyes in the body of Christ in the church. He's talking about church discipline for the good of the congregation. He's talking about removing spiritual cancer before it spreads and kills the rest of the body. So when someone lives the, the biggest great life, in a way that tempts humble little ones to feel out of place in the church. Or to believe that being big is actually how the kingdom works. Or to despise littleness and long for worldly greatness. That obscures Jesus among his own people and it corrupts the gospel. If you find cancer in the body, you cut it out to restore health to the body. For the body of Christ, health means humility. Health means being little. We are here, first and foremost, because of our need for Jesus. We don't come to church primarily because we have something to offer. We come to church because we need Jesus, because we're absolutely dependent on his merciful love. This is the position of childlike humility, of being little, and it needs to be very clear in the church. And if that is obscured or distorted by the big is great life, then soon you won't even have a church. You won't have people who know Jesus. And God cares too much about his little ones to let that happen. So he calls us to participate in cutting out cancers and making his body a welcoming place for the reception of little ones. We're not just to be concerned for our own littleness, our own humility, but also to preserve and protect the humility of our brothers and sisters. That's what we're being called to. Caring for other little ones in their relationship with God, receiving them and caring for them is an essential part 
of our own relationship with God as his little ones. God himself cares for the little ones, like a good shepherd caring for his sheep. So Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them has gone astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So you might got hung up on the, the weird part there about the angels, right? The angels of their, uh, th- their angels always see the face of my father in heaven. I needed help understanding that part too. Uh, some commentaries helped me with that. <clears throat> this is not saying each little one, each believer, each Christian has some sort of personal angel representative who's standing in God's presence in heaven. <clears throat> It's like saying, in heaven, their spirits always see the face of my Father. It's like, when these little ones die and go to heaven, they will have the greatest privilege imaginable. Little ones are perfectly suited for the greatest greatness of all. They will always see the face of Jesus' Father in heaven. The eternal destiny of these little ones is true greatness. It's true glory. Little ones who are so unconcerned with worldly greatness will know and understand heavenly greatness best of all. Little ones who are so open to relationship will be face to face with the God whose being is relationship. The Father loves these little ones. He does not want a single one to be lost. He rejoices over the salvation of each little one. Nothing is more important to God than his little ones. That's good news for little ones. And it's also a good warning for big ones. Whether big or little, God will track you down. If you're a big one, making the church a difficult place for little ones, God will track you down like he says in Ezekiel 34. Our Old Testament reading that Jubilee read this morning. When he's talking to the bad shepherds who did not care for the weak. Did not care for the sick, the injured, the strayed, the lost sheep, the little ones. But who instead used God's little ones to make themselves bigger. God will track you down and you probably won't like that very much. If you're a little one, the good shepherd will track you down. He will search for his sheep and seek them out to rescue them. As it said in Ezekiel 34, God says, I myself will be their shepherd. I will seek the lost. I will bring back, back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and strong, the big ones, I'll destroy. I'll feed them in justice. In the eyes of this world, being strong and important and big is great. Why would you want to turn from that and become like a child? Why would you want to humble yourself like a child and be little and receive little ones and make the church a place for welcoming little ones? Because being little is true greatness. It's the, the very greatness of God. 
Uh, Listen again, look again at verses 4 and 5. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So who is truly the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who has humbled himself like a little child? Who sees himself in the little ones? Who says, how you relate to these little ones is how you relate to me? Who makes known the Father's love for every single little one? It's the Lord Jesus. For Jesus, being little reveals God. The greatness of Jesus is in his humility. Being little is great because being little is being like Jesus. Being little is being godlike. Be little. Be little together. It's simple, nothing extravagant, but it is heavenly. Be open to one another, be thankful for one another, receive each other in the name of Jesus who became himself the littlest and the least in order to be with us. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being little, for being humble, for being open to relationship with us, for becoming vulnerable, even though it meant suffering and death. Thank you for making God known in your littleness, in your humble love. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our shepherd because you did not want to lose any of your little ones. Help us to open ourselves to you, to confess our need for you, to receive you. Help us to be little like Jesus and to receive each other in his name. Help us to care for little ones like you do and to join you as you make this church a place for little ones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.